Okay, so we have a new episode of Legends and Leaders, and today it's great to have Will here. You know, you're you have a wide variety of experiences. You were in the Navy, you were a nuclear submarine officer, all the way to founding a payment fintech company that became Samsung Pay, and you led that initiative, which has really transformed mobile payments globally. And now you're involved in the EV space and and still in the payment space. So I'm excited to have you here, and I'm looking forward to getting to your story. Thank you, Ben, for having me. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. So when you were growing up as a kid, where did this kind of passion for technology, for uh, leadership in the space, where did that come from? Well, I think um, as, a, as a child growing up in, in mainland China before I arrived to the United States, um, curiosity has, has always been there. You know, fortunately, my, my parents kind of gave us a lot of, uh, lot of leeway, so we went out and played a lot. So that curiosity, I think, continued through, um, um, you know, high school and, um, and exploring new things that, uh, that interested me. Um, and then into college, you know, when, uh, um, you know, we were playing around with electronics, playing around with computers uh, early on, uh, playing around with motorcycles and breaking them down and fixing them. And um, so, so those kinds of curiosity um, led me, I think, more interested in technology. So when I ended up joining the, the nuclear submarine force um, after undergrad, um, it was a total immersion into technology. So hmm. if you can imagine, um, for every nuclear submarine officer that joins um, the force, we have to learn everything from um, how nuclear power is generated and how to operate a nuclear reactor plant, um, how electricity is generated and operating you know, um, the generators, how do we make water, how do we make oxygen, how do we scrub our own carbon dioxide and be self-sufficient for 75 days in a row underwater. So all of that, um, made us realize that, you know, you should understand how things are made so that when you, it gets time for you to making things, you can apply what you've learned into a more system level approach. So I've always been very um, um, systems level thinking. And when we talk about sustainability, then it takes that whole system into account. And um, in fact, when I went to MIT for graduate school after serving in the Navy as the first Chinese immigrant to, um, to serve as a nuclear submarine officer, um, one of my favorite classes was actually Jay Forrester's uh, systems dynamics class to look at how, you know, multivariable nonlinear systems all operate together. And it's kind of how the universe works, right? How physics, chemistry, biology, how all of that works. So that, that's always led my curiosity, which kind of led me then towards, you know, a path for, um, for entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. What did your family think of you when you were kind of going to this nuclear submarine program? I mean, it's not just a traditional type of like role in, in, in supporting the country, et cetera. It's, it's much more of an intense role and, in, you know, potentially risking your life in a sense. But what did, what did your kind of friends and family think? Well, my, my mom probably didn't quite understand it as much, and she was a little bit more afraid, but my father was, was quite supportive. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's, um, 
it was my mentor um, when I was co-op, uh, co-oping for IBM at the time. He was a former nuke uh, at, in the Navy. Huh. And he inspired me to look into the program. And, um, and for me, I was very fortunate to have gotten five scholarships to go to the University of Washington practically, you know, uh, without the burden of, um, you know, uh, tasking my parents and they couldn't afford it anyway. So, so I felt quite, um, fortunate and blessed to have the opportunities for this country. So in some ways it is, um, a way to pay back for my service. Um, and then it's another way is it's, for me to serve to learn while I learn to serve at the same time. So um, I felt very, um, very fortunate to have, have gone through that experience with the Navy and, and my two sons, actually two of my three sons, um, <laughs> one just graduated from the Naval Academy and he's gonna be a nuclear submarine officer and then another one's graduating in, in another year and a half. Wow, that's amazing. So how did you kind of get into the, the tech space and starting a business? What, what were some of the steps you took after you're finished with the Navy? So for me, one of the, um, I remember in one of my product development classes in uh, MIT, um, our professor um, Eppinger at the time, he asked the class a very simple question. He says, what's the difference between innovations and inventions? And of course, lots of hands went up and after a while he, he stopped us and he says, let me give you my simple definition. And uh, he says, innovations are simply inventions that made it into the marketplace and got mass adoption. There are many inventions, but very few innovations. And what I learned later is this chasm to go from uh, invention to innovation requires a huge amount of tenacity, entrepreneurship, uh, product market fit, fundraising, uh, team building, execution. So it's the, the valley of shadow of death that you have to cross. <laughs> but for some, they can feel that that's their calling. And no matter what, um, you know, this is what uh, I felt the calling for, to take inventions and bring it into innovation. And sure enough, um, you know, I was, um, given the opportunity to, to turn, um, some of these inventions, uh, into innovations. And even though I knew nothing about how to start a company at the time when I was still finishing up my thesis, um, somehow I just felt compelled to just dive in with, uh, with both feet and, um, and then learn as, um, you know as we go. So we, we jumped in the deep end. So I think you saw this need for like a more like software security platform, you know, that was designed for application developers. Where did that kind of idea come from? And then as you start executing it? So, um, that first company that I started, um, I actually helped another company in the very beginning, um, before I started my first company. And, um, and when I helped that company, you know, go from, uh, just about to folding up to, uh, to actually getting their first customers, um, 
you know, it was very satisfying, but I wasn't in control. And, uh, and frankly, the founder kicked me out uh, of that, uh, that uh, particular startup. So I ended up starting my own where it was me that was fully responsible. I raised capital, uh, built the team. And what I saw was a technology at that time, uh, it was the early days of the web, that could be applied uh, on access management for the web. It was a bitmap indexing technology that had very fast adjudication, but it was just sitting there, technology not finding a, a product market fit and a solution that was needed. So I think one of the things that I pride myself in and I later discovered that was kind of what I had a passion for was just connecting the dots to try to find uh, an invention that makes an application or create value for customers that really needed it that was much better. So bringing that through was, um, um, you know, kind of led me towards being a product type CEO and product type of, of entrepreneurs uh, that, that really, really looked at how to apply invention and turn it into, um, turn it into innovation. Mm. So that chapter was, uh, was, um, you know, us, uh, you know, having a hypothesis, uh, testing the hypothesis, uh, rapidly building prototypes, getting customer feedback. And eventually our first real customer, which was BEA systems, um, ended up wanting to turn this into BEA enterprise, um, you know, web logic enterprise security. So they bought our company and we had yeah. a positive return for our investor. And that allowed me to then got into, get into FinTech. Mm -hmm. So after the company was acquired, like, did you take a bit of a break or did you kind of like, what, what were you thinking at the time of what to do next? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think I took a break at all. In fact, um, my wife keeps uh, harping on me at uh, <laughs> I'm on my fifth and sixth startup right now. And, and I haven't taken a break in between any of them. So um, yeah, after that company was sold, I was, I was right back at it because I was looking at another invention because I'm always curious and I see inventions. So I saw another invention. I'll show you. This is actually kind of funny. Um, this is back in late 2001 early 2002 when phones still look like this well the mobile operator controlled the you know this the uh, the sim card which controlled the phone right so that's a walled garden well this uh, inventor actually uh created a, a virtual sim card whereby they put a microcontroller between the phone and the sim and uh, put it in here so that the phone thinks that the controller was a sim and the sim thinks the controller was the phone so we essentially hijacked it and the sim is just a 7816 smart card so we added a smart card reader in the back and we thought hey why don't we build a a uh, a mobile wallet for you to have you know remote transactions where they send you a, a text and um, you can finish the transaction with a card present transaction on your phone it's safer it's more cost effective for the merchants why wouldn't you like it well as it turns out it was way uh, more difficult than I thought. You <sighs> couldn't crack the chicken and the egg problem. And uh, within about four months, I said, you know, holy, and uh, <laughs> we better pivot or else we're going to die. So we took this idea and we ended up um, 
saying, hey, instead of a two-sided platform where you can't solve the chicken and the egg problem, meaning consumers don't care unless there's lots of merchants accepting it and merchants don't care unless there's already a lot of consumers using it. So you're stuck, you know, in the middle. So we say, okay, let's pivot. Let's turn that idea here into this idea where we turn this into a mobile point of sale. So this is square before square. We added a MagStripe reader here. We uh, added a printer, uh, printer from an infrared, a pin pad yeah. on the back, and we turned this into the first pocket-sized point of sale in the world. So this um, company was ended up uh, being acquired by Verifone, and then the smartphones came along. This is well, if you have a smartphone and an audio jack, you don't really need that anymore. So why not plug a little reader right into the audio jack? So this is right around the same time as uh, Square. In fact, uh, I met with Jim McKelvey uh, at Jack Dorsey's apartment, and, and we were talking about, you know, this solution. Yeah. And um, so we ended up becoming the largest supplier to all of these people like Intuit, PayPal, and um, and we white labeled it and sold them in you know, hardware, software, services. And uh, so it was very different. You know, we couldn't raise capital out here in, in uh, Boston, um, not quite like, you know, what's happening in Silicon Valley. So we had to, to do more strategic investments. And, uh, and as such, um, that company was acquired by Ingenico in 2012 or so. And then, you know, that was 10 years after me trying to do a mobile wallet. So my co-founder, George Warner, and I were sitting around in Miami, actually, of all places, and uh, at his place. And we said, you know, why hasn't, this is 2012, why hasn't mobile wallet come about yet? Well, we know why. It's because when they're not accepted at the point of sale, you know, forget it, right? You, you, uh, and contactless payment and NFC is still far away. So... Um, and it's going to take years before they get, you know, more popular. So, um, so George actually um, uh, invented a technology called magnetic secure transmission, and we were able to transmit magnetic signals through a loop of wire to um, to use existing MagStripe point of sales to tr communicate contactlessly. So, we uh, we ended up. Um, um, showing this to Apple, which was already locked into the iPhone 6 at the time to, uh, uh, towards Apple Pay with NFC only. And, um, and then we got Samsung and Visa to invest in us. And, mm. uh, and at that time, um, Samsung ended up acquiring our company to turn it into Samsung Pay. So I spent three years as global co-GM of Samsung Pay and help take that little technology and that little uh, magnetic secure transmission technology and embed it into uh, just about every smartphone from Galaxy S6 forward. And uh, so we got you know billions of smartphone, uh, phones embedded to uh, to compete against Apple Pay. So that was that was part of the adventure for the last company. And uh, so after three years of that, um, what I recognize is that that um you know we have such a fragmented environment here in the united states and compared to what's going on in china with wechat pay and you know, alipay 
and the super apps that are combining not just payments but also rewards, engagement, all into a, an ecosystem owned by the, the consumer, you know, their own universal commerce application. And I felt that that was truly missing here in the U.S. And that became my next mission at OV Loop is to to um, to build that that new uh, architecture of a commerce uh, operating system. And uh, and I've been doing that um, for the last few years. And, and you know, we're we're in the path of of uh, turning that into a commercial solution. And then we're also starting to look at strategic um, investors that can be part of this new uh, trusted commerce community. And, um, and, and yeah, so it's been continuous adventure. And at the same time, about three, three and a half years ago, one of my key investments in the, in the uh, mobility space, um, uh, I've been passionate about electrification uh, of mobility for a very long time. I've invested in multiple EV companies, drone companies, and, um, and one that caught my particular attention was Professor Ian Hunter out of MIT, one of the most prolific inventors. Um, he, um, he had invented a brand new uh, motor technology that um, is what we call a smart wheel technology that allows um, it to sense the road and be able to not only spin the wheel and you know, located in the wheel itself, but move the wheels up and down at the same time. So to create okay. much more space in between the wheels so that to make the vehicle smaller on the outside, but roomier on the inside, but much more agile, smooth, and, uh, and efficient, just like we as, as, uh, as animals, you know, we want our motors to be agile, efficient in the use of energy, the same thing with electric vehicles. So I loved the invention, but the hard part of taking it into innovation, I knew that they needed someone like me to join in to, uh, to help make it happen. So I ended up pouring a lot of my own capital and resources, and, and uh, I knew that if I didn't do it, the company was going to die. And um, so, again, this felt like a calling. And uh, so the two companies that I'm currently engaged in, both OV Loop, I feel that that's a calling for what we can do for society to turn, you know, this um, this invention of a new digital commerce super app to make it into reality here in the U.S. It's hard, but um, I feel like we're on the path and, and we can do this. And then the same thing on the EV side, right? You've got a, this tremendous invention with this road sensing smart wheel. Um, we need to turn that into smart wheel powered, ultra efficient vehicles that are ultra smooth, focused for you know the last mile delivery as well as um, ride hail of the future or transportation as a service of the future. So that's uh, those are, are the things that are consuming the the most of my bandwidth right now. So in terms of when the acquisition happened for um, the Lupe system, you know, did you kind of expect it, you know, something like that to happen with Samsung because they wanted to compete 
um, with the Apple Pay solution? Like, why do you think that they wanted to embrace your solution, which, you know, it seemed like a lot of people wanted to do the NFC payment. Um, and then some of these places were even willing to go and change their systems. You know, what, why kind of, why were they more keen to use your approach and work with the existing infrastructure? Great question. So for, for, for us, we let them test our solutions and to do their own market tests. So when they went out to the U.S., they can see that at that time it was, you know, less than 40% of the merchants had NFC terminals, right? Mm. So, um, uh, and then they did a survey in, in um, um, Korea where their home country is, less than 10% had NFC huh. at that time. So the only thing that was there was Magstripe. So if you're going to launch a mobile payments, if you can't have NFC on the merchant terminals, what kind of user experience is that? So they saw the advantage of this technology, which is why Samsung Pay became the number one mobile wallet in all of Korea, you know, yeah. almost overnight. And yeah. it was because of that magnetic secure transmission that use existing rails to be able to put a new bullet train on it. Right. So yeah. uh, it was a better experience. So I think they did their homework and, and that's why they adopted our technology. And of course, um, you know, they brought our team on board to speed up uh, and they knew that we had payment experience to speed up the the launch. So we we were acquired in February and we ended up launching in, in September, Samsung Pay. Right. So it was very fast. Um, and the Samsung uh, team and the Samsung um, culture is just phenomenal when they put their their thoughts behind something they just you know throw their resources very dedicated people there and uh, and it was a fun experience for us to launch that but you know um, that was uh, that was cool yeah so I mean WeChat is so dominant in China I mean it's, it's like the internet basically there you know the US is just it's a different type of culture but I think that people do want this kind of convenience of with the super app. Like, how do you plan on providing more utilities through the super app than the traditional maybe Venmo or other types of payment systems? And then also, what's your like kind of way that you want to be able to acquire customers? Like, what are some of the ways you're thinking about that currently? Great question. Um, for us, we're not just a peer-to-peer -peer payment. Um, for us, we're really thinking about the entire ecosystem of how do you bring merchants and consumers closer together. So bring that network of merchants to the consumer and close the loop between the buyer's wallet and the seller's POS so that the most valuable real estate really becomes inside of this digital super app. So there's mm -hmm. still valuable real estate physically, you know, in the town centers and the front of the malls and, and, um, but um, where people are going to expect that level of convenience is how do you let them not only fulfill payments, but automatically have rewards, engagement, messaging, and never be spammed so that the messaging can be yours and yours alone. And when, you know, your choice, are you going to be you know, letting this merchant in your loop? If not, one click of a button you know, no more messaging. But if you want to message them, you can message them directly. So this bi-directional messaging, utilizing some inventions that we have with one tap voice, uh, uh, voice powered messaging, um, the ability to tap and pay in the physical world, 
um, the ability to, to one click pay, you know, in the uh, online world or the in-app world. So across devices, iOS, Android, Mac, PC, uh, across channels, online, in-app, in-store, uh, across tender types so that, you know, you can offer not just your Visa MasterCard, but also um, whatever tender type that, uh, that suits you, uh, reward cash, right? Uh, coupons. And so when you bring these things together, we also think that it's not just about retail because the community also includes, um, um, you know, sports and entertainment, your favorite sports teams, uh, your nonprofits, uh, your schools and university. We just signed up our first, uh, first university that, that uh, is joining the, the loop. We really see this as a digital community and, and eventually when your identity is right there, it's controlled by you because you own the keys to this kingdom. You know, if you don't own the keys, you don't own the data. So today we don't really have our own private digital wallet because it's just our data stored, you know, in Amazon or TJ Maxx or Apple Pay or Samsung Pay. It's them that have one key that locks everybody's data. So is that really our data and our wallet? So we are using the latest blockchain era cryptography called BIP32 and also BIP39 for you know, recovery. So we're letting you derive your own keys. It's your data. We can't see the data that you store is fully encrypted by you. Um, we back it up for you and so that you can use it across any device. And that way, you can store whatever you want in there. So your, your cards, of course, bank accounts, ID, membership, uh, your passwords, passports, uh, crypto keys, NFT. We don't really care. This is your vault. You should own it. And when yeah. you own that data and your identity is there, who you share that data with then becomes your choice. And now when we can bring this environment together, it becomes something that is what we call um, you know, instead of the digital wild west, it becomes really the, the, the west that is now properly infrastructured with proper security, proper law and order, proper plumbing, proper streets and roads, right? And then in order to get there, we're going to need the rails to go from, um, let's say, the mature east coast at that point, you know, to have the intercontinental railroad to be able to carry you to you know to the uh, to the west so we want to build that infrastructure this new uh, real estate that doesn't mean that you're going to get rid of your old one you're still going to go shop you're still going to do all of these things and you're still going to visit the merchant's website the merchant's app when you need it but this is one super app that belongs to you this now becomes a super valuable real estate and how do you get to market is your question how do we get to market is we work with some of the largest retailers and brands that want to be in their customers' super apps. So when they invest in this new real estate, how do they invest? Well, they spend the money to drive their customers and to gift their customers this new gift of this super app. And when they're first to do it, they get pinned at the top of the wallet, essentially at the front of the mall, right? Or the center of town. So when you look at it in that light, you start to realize what we're building is a brand new architecture that um, 
that is like when the first mall came together in 1954 by a guy named Victor Gruen. Uh, it was an Austrian architect immigrant that had this crazy idea that everybody thought he was absolutely nuts because before that it was all separate right storefronts in the suburbs. It was Sears with their mega parking lot. It was Kmart, separate side of town, major parking lot. It's standalone stores, just like the standalone apps today. They want you to download their app, right? And everybody thought it was crazy for Macy's and JCPenney to be under one roof. You're nuts. But as soon as that first store or first mall actually got built with the right infrastructure for the entire community, large, small merchants, and it was architected in such a way that it attracted um, the community to come together, guess what? Within six years, by 1960, there were 4,000 malls. By the mid-80s, there were 30,000-plus malls representing more than 50% of all retail, and Victor Gruen was credited by Malcolm Gladwell as the most influential architect of the 20th century. Huh. So that's the kind of impact, and that's the kind of thinking that we really have to architect. And if you don't have that architecture in mind from the start, it won't magically happen. You can't just take, you know, a, a Sears tower and then just all of a sudden turn it into a mall. Just like you can't take a application that belongs to one uh, operating system or one uh, bank or one retailer and just add a bunch of stuff and make it into a super app. So how do you manage now building this super app, which is, you know, it's quite a goal you have here. And then also with this EV, this EV focused um, motor that you're building out, this active suspension motor, like how do you manage two different things at once? And two of them are not just like the average project. These are ambitious projects. Um, less sleep, uh, more passion. <laughs> it's very hard. It is very hard. Um, especially during this time, you know, the, the, um, you know, Raising capital is is hard, um, yeah. so it's the winter time. But but when you have passion, and I've survived two of these winters already. You know, when I started my first company after the dot com bubble had already popped, and um, um, and then you know I was on my third company right in the middle of you know the the great financial crisis. Uh, nobody wanted to fund. But to me, it's about creating value. And if we can work, and I've always, you know, been, been one of how do you create value? And, you know, my first company was sold to the value that we created for our first customer. Um, and, um, you know, when I was going through the financial crisis, it was, it was a strategic investor to help create more value for the point of sale space. And right now it's the same thing. If we can create value for the for the large retailers and brands and, um, and for the right financial institutions that have the foresight to want to be there first in, you know, in this digital uh, community. Uh, we think they're the ones who are going to help us get there um, for OV Loop. And then same thing for, for um, uh, Indigo. For Indigo, it's about finding um, real customers that need our solution. Um, you know, customers like FedEx and Walmart and, and, you know, they need to perform delivery in a much better, um, more efficient EV for their drivers to do their jobs and perform these deliveries because it's razor thin margins. 
So how do you create more value using this new technology? Same thing with people like Uber right, and uh, taxis. How do we give them a smoother, better uh, EV that saves their uh, drivers money and provides better ride experience for their customers? Um, so, so focus on the value creation and we can get to innovation and never, never give up. And that's, you know, pour that passion in there because wherever your focus goes, um, your energy is going to flow there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why do you think you've had such a focus on financial and payment oriented companies? Like, why do you think that's been such a strong driver for you? I think it's, it's natural when, um, you get good at your craft, there's that old, you know, um, 10,000 hour adage, um, mm -hmm. and, um, and the more deeply you dive into a particular area, um, I think the more uh, you gain insights that maybe other people don't necessarily get so that you can, you're in a better position to solve a problem or to add additional value. So, so for, for the last two decades, I've been, you know, very focused on this ecosystem, which is normally very complex when I first naively, you know, dove into <laughs> mobile wallets, you know, back in 2002. So I think learning from that and then adding to that and then applying the principles um, of, um, of efficiency and, and um, uh, I think it's natural. I think anybody, you know, you, you kind of look at their, their background there's a lot of entrepreneurs that, you know, may see something hot and then all of a sudden they dive in, but they may not have enough hours in that uh, area, whether it's, you know, AI or EV or, you know, whatever it is. But if you, if you have a passion for it for a long time, it helps you stick with it and learn more and more along the way that um, then allow you to, you know, contribute and create value. Mm -hmm. Well, Will, I think that's all the questions that I had. Um, so I, I appreciate you coming on. You, you have an incredible story. I mean, you've built so many different interesting companies. You're now have two different challenging, exciting projects that you're working on, you know, that both have potential to completely revolutionize it in separate industries and, and change the everyday lives of a lot of people. And you've already done that before. So, you know, I'm excited for what you'll do next and, uh, and appreciate it. Thank you, Ben, for having me on and, and um, uh, enjoyed our discussion today.